0: Come on, ride the train and ride it. I'm harkening back to 20 years ago, terrible songs. And we're going to be talking about a train movie, Snowpiercer, on this Last Nighters episode 118. And you can find this on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in direction and also at lastnighters.com slash 118. That will be the show notes and more. And we're going to be talking about the Oscar winning director's film, Snowpiercer. He won this year for Parasite, which is another one that might be worth doing sometime in the future. But uh, this is a movie that was handpicked by our guest. He's a returning guest. He was on for The Outlaw King. And was it The Truman Show? There's something else. It's uh, Olaf the Anarcho Viking. Welcome back to the show, my friend. It's very good to see you here, and I appreciate you joining us.
1: Oh, thank you. It's great to be back. I love your show, and it's an honor to be here. Uh, I was on for Spirited Away, the animated Miyazaki masterpiece Mm. that... uh, I thought very highly of, but, uh, um, you know, maybe a little bit lukewarm for certain other people.
0: Oh, those are fighting words. Well, thank you. <laughs> I think we're really going to come back after we, uh, trash that a little bit. Now, <laughs> I, I do think it was good. And, and I do have a, an appreciation for Miyazaki as a result of that. And maybe you want to watch more of his movies. Uh, and I saw that all of the studio Ghibli films are coming to Netflix everywhere, yeah. but in the U S unfortunately. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't paid attention, but, uh, yeah, there are other ways you can find them obviously, but yeah, that's, it it will be, it will be nice to have them all collected. Like if you have something like Disney plus, I would like to have something like studio Ghibli plus or like add addendum to Disney plus something that it would be nice to have them collection. Yeah,
0: indeed. Thank you for uh, coming back on and we will have the show notes page with your prior appearances on, And uh, we will start off with the Google description information, and we'll go to Robert for his reaction and his uh, opening diatribe, which he's always got one Uh. in the chamber there. Um, Uh. Speaking of one in the chamber, if you are one to carry a firearm for self-defense purposes only, and you are legally uh, authorized to do so, I I can't give any advice that's not quote-unquote legal, but uh, there's this new holster that I've got, and it's amazing. It uh, maintains your firearm below your belt line, and it's still accessible. It's called the Urban Carry G3, and you can get one via our affiliate link at lastnarrows.com slash G3. Check it out. And One recommendation is if you do make a purchase, to sign up for their uh, loyalty program first to earn points on your initial purchase, and then you get money off any future purchases as a result, too. We'll have this on the show notes page as well. I thought I'd throw that in there because uh, it's during times like this, I've been wanting to carry and my prior um, method was an inside waistband uh, holster and it would always print and get exposed whenever I would move. And so I'd always be constantly like, trying to cover it up with a shirt or something. And this solves that problem. It's very, very comfortable. So check it out. Last slash G three. All right. And back to the show. All right. So snow came out uh 2013 fantasy film two hours and three minutes. And it has a 7.1 IMDb, 94% Rotten Tomatoes, and 3.5 out of 4 from Roger Ebert's corpse. The Google users, 85% of them like it. Snowpiercer is a 2013 science fiction action-based, action film based on the French graphic novel Les Transparecindiers by Jacques Loeb, Benjamin Legrand, and Jean-Marc Rocher. The film is directed by Bong Joon-ho and written by Bong and Kelly Masterson. So it's really just informational and really nothing to do with the plot of the film it came out uh, october 21st 2014 in the u.s the director is Bong jun ho who won the best act or best director for parasite or was it best film i'm gonna say best film it was best picture yeah best picture he didn't win best director right or did he he might have i don't remember okay well here we are doing a movie review show and we don't know shit about movies
2: well who gives a shit about the fucking oscars daniel
0: (laughs) you're gd right robert all right, so budget, $40 million. It won a bunch of awards and uh, was on some uh, many best 10 lists from uh, 2013, 2014. Uh, the first quick review I see is Bong joon Ho's Snowpiercer envisions a post-apocalyptic world on a train where first class is fabulous and the economy cars are a lot like hell. Let's go to Robert for his reaction and uh, then we will go to our guest Olaf.
2: Well, I assume you said something in those last few seconds. I just want to... Um... Congratulate you, Daniel, on your French pronunciation. You nailed those names. Those are, I was like listening to a, a native talk. But anyway, Snowpiercer. It's uh, Bong Jun ho He likes to play with uh, class, clearly. if I mean, maybe he's got some other films that he doesn't do this. But in these two films that I know him for, Parasite and this, it's all about class. This one, I think more so than Parasite. Parasite's a little more subtle, but not much, much more subtle. But this one's straight out of, like, you got the have-nots and you got the haves. And that's basically it. It starts off as a premise, like, um, The Matrix, except, you know, the humans destroyed the sky to fight global warming. And The Matrix, they're doing it to fight the robots. But, um, you know, this is like a a closed system movie. And the economics don't add up. And I'm going to have similar complaints to the episode, if you heard it with the, um, the Village, M. Night Sham Hammers Village movie, where there's this closed system and the economics just make absolutely no sense. In this movie, it's similar. It tries to play a little bit of lip service to it actually making sense, but it really, really doesn't. Um, they kind of hand wave it away with it being a train and saying it's stuck to the gills and there's like technology that magically saves everything. But I'll, I'll still have my, my complaints. But um, the movie features excellent direction, excellent acting especially by the lady that played the uh the glasses wearing lady i don't know her name but she was fantastic uh she tilda, really, S- tilda swinson she swinton. was swinton was fabulous sorry i didn't remember your name tilda but you were fantastic you gave excellent like religious speeches like really mythologizing the great train maker guy it was uh it was really a lot of fun to watch uh even for a second time this is the second time i've seen it First time I was just watching it as a sci-fi fan. This time I was watching it as like this ANCAP sci-fi fan. So I was really keying in on you know the economics and then the statements of the socialist utopia or the, the communist class struggle that's really being sort of portrayed in this movie. Although I have an issue with that, and maybe this could be our first talking point. In the general class theory of communism, if I understand it correctly, the bourgeoisie make, you know, basically suck off of the, the excess labor of the proletariat. And they really live high on the hog, really not doing a whole lot off the labor of the working class. And in this movie, you've got the high on the hog people, but they just happen to have bought a first class ticket in the, maybe that's like a metaphor for being born into the high, the upper class. But in this movie, the lower class people in the back of the train, don't do anything. They're not really workers. A few of them do. There's a guy that maintains the machinery of the uh, food-making block, protein block thing, but everybody else just kind of lays around. So I don't think the metaphor quite works for the ultimate communist uh, metaphor for the life. But um, I don't know. I thought that was a little bit strange. Like, wouldn't you want the upper class really working, living high on the hog based on the working class people in the back of the train just slaving away doing stuff, but it it wasn't, they were just kind of hanging out. And then they like the upper class people would come along whenever they needed like a random person to do something and just steal them. But other than that, they weren't just like living on their labor. So that's my opening salvo. I've got tons and tons of notes to talk about this movie. It's very dense. There's all kinds of stuff It even features some of the most unrealistic rifle shots or weapon shots in movie history and that's saying something so but it's still it's okay go ahead
0: all right well yeah i i think that uh, this is a can of worms uh of an episode or of a movie of course and and i do think that you are right that the critique of if this is supposed to represent communism and class warfare it's all sort of missing uh, one of the elements and that is the um exploitation of the uh excess labor or the excess uh, value what is it what's it called um what do the comics call that? The uh, uh,
2: Yeah, it's exploitation. Either you're taking just labor theft or uh,
0: value theft or something like that? Surplus value. Surplus value. There you go. Yeah, they, they're really just uh, having these people around so they can push them around. That's about it. It's like... Yeah, best. what purpose do these people serve? That was my question
2: the whole movie. It was like, you've got all these people in the back who are just kind of eating. They're like the useless feeders. They're not actually doing anything. They're just sitting there and reproducing. And then every once in a while, they got a, well, spoiler alert. You got to kill them off. But anyway.
0: Well, and you got to take one of the kids to fit in the uh, engine room to operate manually something that broke on the right. thing. Well, hey, that's ingenuity. It keeps the, everybody alive. But that's right. the one thing that sends him over the top. He's like, no, I can do with the murder, but the child labor. That's that's where I draw the line. Yeah, that's the big line. All right. So Olaf, let's, uh, let's go to you for your take on the lack of Google description and anything that right. we talked about thus far. And then take us whatever direction you'd like to go, sir.
1: Yeah, good. Uh so well, let me start off. It's uh, very nice to see all that snow. Makes me feel right at home uh from the Nordic part of the uh hemisphere. Uh but I was not um I was not a big fan and uh there're some reasons for that too, but I just thought it was a really bizarre movie. Uh and I think when you talk about communist sort of this class system, maybe it's more sort of accurate describing it as a uh, somebody who would make the pitch for, I don't know, some kind of UBI or something like that, because there just wasn't anything to do for these people. The closed system had sort of these limited amount of resources available and they just had to be kept at bay because otherwise uh, it would sort of tear down the standard of living for, for the other people who were consuming the limited resources that were, that were uh, available. Um, But as I see it, the meaning uh, or You can draw like metaphorically from this is this almost like a journey through the different class systems of if you want to call it like a communist dystopia because it kind of feels like that. But I feel like there's a lot more than just to have and to have nots when you travel through it as you go forward in the car in the train to the different cars, you encounter a new set of like realities that are present there in each of these uh, uh, boxes. And uh, you have, you go through these where they take care of the fish or the plants and there's some kind of orange grove in like a greenhouse environment. And there are people there meticulously taking care of those environments and they're working, they're kind of filling a purpose to some extent. And even the guy who worked doing those protein bars being all by himself, that's still a step above from the, um, what did you call the tail section of the train where they just live in like uh, squalor uh, uh, and their own feces and then uh, practicing cannibalism uh so it's it's a little bit you know seeing the symbolism of traveling through these different class system to the front of this to this um, mythological space almost like held up as a deity like the engine in itself is a deity that is worshipped uh by the passengers in the train uh, and uh you can see that when they travel through, like the, this educational car, and the, the childrens getting their proper indoctrination to worship this this uh, deity that is the engine and its creator, kind of kind of like the the he, he held up as a god, Wilford. Um, so that's that was my impression of the movie. There are a lot of elements that we can talk about within each of these sections, but, uh, I think I'm going to just pause there and see what, uh, what you guys, uh, uh where we want to take this.
0: All right. Well, that was, that was good. And, and yeah, I, I think you're kind of right. And it's less of a class system and more of a caste system, you know, right. like you're born in a specific strata and you can't change from that at all. It's like how, um, I think it used to be set up that way in India. So there was, <laughs> enough, uh, advancing even on your merits and, uh, they're, they're very particular about maintaining balance in this uh, environment, this closed system, but I got, sorry, that's really loud. Um, that it, it felt like a hole to me in the in the idea of, well, they need to cull the, the last car by 72% or something like that to get the population in balance. You would think that if they were that far out of balance, that 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 would have been a problem long before. Like, why would they wait until it's seventy-two percent or something like that? Like, obviously they can support that amount for a period of time uh, before then they they basically manufacture uh, the, these two competing ends, manufactured by colluding together to create this tension and these revolutions uh, by sort of manipulating people into doing them so that they die as a result heroically or whatever uh, and and commemoratively. Uh, and that was kind of the big reveal at the end that made me sort of turn towards liking this movie because watching it all along, I I was like, this is kind of dumb and it's not getting any better until that final element where you realize that, uh, what's the guy's name, uh, Gregor was working with Wilford to manage this whole, uh, scenario to get the population down, this population control eugenics system that was going on, uh, using false flags and lies, uh, sort of like the, um. As uh, a big new Brzezinski uh, grand chessboard kind of shit. <laughs> and Robert, you mentioned the Matrix. Uh, it reminded me of when they said that when they first put people in the Matrix, it was like a utopia. Whatever the, the people um, thought was going on, like, you know, they're in these pods, but the program that they were living in was perfect abundance, Garden of Eden model. But people would reject that. They needed some tension, they needed some strife, they needed some uh, something to ground it in reality. And it seemed similar here, that was what these uh, manipulations were for, was to create that tension and give them purpose and not reject this kind of utopian system, even though it was dystopian for the people in the back, sort of utopian in the very front. And yeah, you're right, Olaf, there were some workers in the middle who seemed to be kind of actually doing something productive. I also noticed as you move further up the train, you got into more um, degeneracy and more uh, opulence and less um, caring about doing anything of value or productive. So I know that would be a key talking point for you.
1: Oh, oh yeah. I mean, that was very interesting because you get through these um, after the detail uh, the section. that This just pure hell, right? So then you get to the guy who's making the food and he is on board with this. He's really excited. He's like, this is my place. This is my um, purpose. I need to be here. And Kurt and is like, what you don't want to come with us and take the engine there's a revolution going on it's like no 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 bro i'm staying i don't want to be part of this that's like his reaction to this and then you get forward again you, you get to this close eco- ecological system of the fish tank and how they make sushi and you travel through the greenhouse and how they take care of all the fruits and then you get to the um to you know they're really the people that consume the high time preference part of the car that's just full of like hedonism and and the social degeneracy, a lot of drug use, kind of like orgy-like environment. People are just high and uh, and kind of useless. They're just uh, consumers of this of this thing. And I am not entirely sure what, what that what the meaning of this is and why it's coming at in the um, uh, in the order that that is that it's coming in uh, from the directors and the producers and, and why they why they structured it that way. But it's really weird because i i I did not expect that coming but you kind of see this more the higher end living becomes less less useful becomes the the, the degeneracy and individual hedonism seem to increase the higher up that you get in the train uh because like this you know the 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 luxury you have to pass the time and you don't have to worry about you know uh starving or eating your own arm or something like that then uh uh, you have to do something and then you just, they're, they're, uh, there, wh- what can you do? You're in this like really closed environment. It's not, you turn to all sorts of things that, uh, you know, are, uh, to satisfy short term pleasure. Uh, you know, <laughs> so there's really nothing to do for these people.
0: Yeah. So Robert, let's go to you uh, as you take a big swig of water. Cause I know you're gearing up to say something like a long, long diatribe based on what we've talked about so far.
2: Well, you guys have all made some excellent points. Um, It is interesting how you would have almost nothing to do. You'd have to find time to spend your days with. And so it's completely realistic how they would be like, well, I'll turn to drugs or whatever, especially if in this world, you're not given a task. Like these people don't seem to have any jobs. Like there's only certain people that need to do jobs. Like there's a dentist, there was like a tailor, and then there's the guy that makes the food. There's the guy that cut that sushi. And there's a few people. There's the people that tend the the worms essential and
0: the- services, Robert. Essential
2: services. We're essential all living
0: Snowpiercer right now in quarantine.
2: Right. But then everybody else is just living high on the hog, doing nothing. But I think, you know, it's- Okay, let me talk about economics for a little bit. Even in the reality of the tail section, even though nobody seems to poop in this train, it's really annoying. Movies, they just ignore that. But there would just be filth everywhere. Anyway. Right, they lose a point because Robert likes poop in his movies. I know they're not going to show a poop scene. I'm just saying, if they don't even have food, there are situations in the real world where people are just pooping in cattle cars, and it's horrific. Anyway, even in this environment, there is specialization going on in the in the train in the um, in the revolutionary world. There is trading. There's an economy. They're trading these protein blocks for different things in order to make their tools to create these like their plan to escape out of this place, which is good. I like that. Like Even in a prison, you've got economies. You can't stop people from trading and specializing, which is great. But in a real world scenario, I think you would want to take advantage of the ingenuity and the genius of everybody on board and explain to them the reality of the situation in which they find them. So in the animal world, and human beings are part of that world, we react to hard times, tough times, by not reproducing. We just don't. Same with animals. If there's no food around, population stays steady. They don't just like explode and whatever. I mean, that's just a good way to kill a bunch of kids. So the idea that you got this horrific situation in the tail, but yet they're still breeding like rabbits is a little bit ridiculous. But I think you would want to put everybody's ingenuity towards figuring out how to better the whole train, everybody in it. I. It seems like a real waste of brain power and ingenuity and just human minds to keep half the train just locked in this crappy cattle car in the back. You're only teaching like a few kids in the middle and it's like propaganda stuff. I mean, maybe they're learning some science and whatever too, but who knows? But it's like one school car for like a couple of kids. I would be putting everybody to work. I'd have Wilford training everybody on engineering and science and figuring all kinds of crap out the best you can. You got nothing to do but sit around and learn all day. Of course, this is a movie. I understand that. But I'm just saying that in the real world, I think it would play out quite differently. I mean, of course, I'm not saying that there aren't wars and bullshit reasons of wars in the real world too. But you know, China would have like this one child policy and that's, of course, horrific. But I think human beings would naturally understand the conditions they're in and it wouldn't lead to this rampant overpopulation where, especially if you got these people that are not doing anything, put them to work, get them to do something. If they got nothing else to do, give them some books and they can read up on engineering and economics or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It just seems like.
0: You sort of sound like a central planner there, Robert. do you mean just like liberate them and allow them to work if they wish and provide value for others in exchange and all of those things? And, and I did like that they had uh, cigarettes in there and there were only two left. And so they're super valuable. And they ran out of bullets or they at least they thought they did, which was a convenient plot point, because then there was this um, uh, show of force or menacing that wasn't backed up by actual um, live fire ammunition. So that was a key point in a lot. I mean, well, by the end, you don't know if that's like a manipulated thing like, oh, let's not have bullets in the guns and let them discover that so that they'll have their revolution. Because if they know that we're armed and, and actually have ammunition, then they're not going to rise up against us. And we need them to rise up against us so that we can eugenically kill 74.2% of them.
1: Yeah. And uh, the, the interesting point also here is that, you know, these, these soldiers that were pretty much terrorizing the tail section every day for a couple of times a day or something like that, they were pretty low on the totem pole. Like they were sent out there on the battlefield to people who could potentially kill them without uh, any ammunition at all. And they knew this, <laughs> too. So uh, they were also very low stri- uh, in the hierarchy. It, probably not much higher than, than the tail sections themselves. They were used as, uh, as slaves, pretty much, uh, by, the, uh, by the upper uh, class cars when they, they were doing the dirty work down at the tail section. But they had no way to really defend themselves. They were just It was just a smokescreen, like the carrying empty guns. Uh, so you, you have to think about that one, too. That uh, 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 they were not, you know, people who were high in on on, on the on the power structure at all. They were <laughs> they were just used, <laughs> very low. They're, they're the
0: they're the thin blue line. Yeah. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. Back to blue. <laughs> yeah.
0: Underpaid, underappreciated, and uh, doing you know doing the enforcement work for their uh, political betters uh, above them. Yeah. that uh, you know the thing that. It seems like this movie only works if you allow a lot of these contrivances. Like one of the things that really kind of bugged me is that the the guy who is the um, can open the gates, he was apparently locked up in this like sarcophagus thing, and yet he was aware of going over this bridge and this airplane becoming more and more exposed every time. I just don't know how that worked because if he was locked up in this prison, how did he see out the windows? To see that the snow was potentially melting, or maybe blowing off of this airplane that was crashed down below this bridge, that part didn't make a whole lot of sense to me at all. I assumed that he got out. He wasn't just—I think
2: that that's where he slept. I, did you? You took that as a prison? I mean, he was locked in
0: there. It's true. I don't they, know. They if He was just serving him their, time. They said they, were, they said they were—they said they were going to break him out of this prison. That was okay. like part of the plan.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it seemed also like the prison was a step. Higher up than than the tail section itself, it seemed like there was more pleasant to be in the prison than it would be in the tail section. First of all, just want to Yay. point that out, <laughs> which is <laughs> totally absurd. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't. I, you're right. I did not fully understand how he could have known that unless it was just assumed that he wasn't always in that box and that he had somehow seen this this uh, reality on the outside before.
2: Well, I'm glad you had little nitpicks, Daniel. I'll let me go off on a tiny little science rant uh it's not the biggest deal in the world but it bugged me so i'm going to talk about it what are you going to do um it's a perpetual machine engine fine just wave it away as science for the engine to work infinitely except you need little hands to repair it or whatever but i had a big issue well not too big but it was in my mind the whole time i'm watching this film The, the second law of thermodynamics says that in a closed system the entropy in a system will increase which is entropy like the usable energy will increase and it's not a completely closed system this train there is sunlight hitting it but the vast majority of energy would be gone like i mean i know you're just waving it away science saying that this train is like immune to cold or something but those windows would leach heat like crazy the just the overall metal of the train would get cold and would leach heat and eventually, this thing would be a, a moving—just I mean, a frozen popsicle. Not only that, but who would be repairing the tracks? The tracks—if the world is so freezing cold—that—that—that—that that, 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 that those tracks are going to get brittle. And tornadoes, gusts of wind are going to put some pressure on that stuff. And I mean, we eventually saw an avalanche, but I just—the idea of a a world free of repairmen. I'm sorry, it just it just bugs me. I, it's just it's just not realistic.
0: All right, yeah. and l- let's also talk about the hubris that opens this thing that they got to fight global warming with chemtrail bioengineering shit. This uh, what's it called? C-97, and all these uh, experts agree, yeah, this is going to solve our problem and cool the earth. And oops, uh, I must have uh, put the decimal point in the wrong spot. I always do that. Uh, I love how you. they
1: fail. I love how that's a do. Uh, that's a big failure. It may it warmed my heart a little bit. You know that these people who are the know betters and uh, who think that you know top down approach and they know everything. what you have to do in order to you know tax ourselves to 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 change the the, the climate. And they just failed miserably. (laughs) I thought that was actually the greatest part of the movie. (laughs) It's just a big failure of these people who think they know everything.
2: Yeah, I did enjoy the central planners trying to save everybody, destroy everything. And then a private actor actually saves people with this train idea, the crazy train idea that would never get past Congress or whatever. It would never be funded. Maybe as somebody's weird little pet project, but it took a private actor to actually keep humanity going. That's
1: right.
0: All right. So here, here's my question to both of you and I'll go to Olaf first. Is Wilford really the bad guy or are those people in that final compartment only alive because of his benevolence and they're thankless. They, They hate him for keeping them alive.
1: Oh yeah, no. I mean, in some instances, you have to look at these people in the condition that they're living, right, and think may- maybe because you don't find out everything from the beginning. You find out later on that you know these horrific things that's going on and cannibalism and people cutting off their limbs and eating babies and and just like yeah, no. I wish I would have been dead. I do not want to live in that uh, kind of reality. But at the same time, it's you know Wilford who is basically God in this movie who uh, had. Mercy on these people and took them in right. It's only uh, at his mercy that they are alive Uh, So you can see I you can see it both ways, but uh, looking at these people I say well no. I mean, maybe I would rather just be dead than living under those conditions and uh, But at the same time that's I mean, he's the only reason why they're alive because he was the one who built the train so
2: (laughs) yeah, I'm wondering what the uh, terms of the contract were when they initially boarded the, the train right like did the, did the low rear passengers understand that they would basically just be standing room only cattle car style, no guaranteed food or anything like that? Or, you know, what are, what are the terms or what I would want to know in terms about that? Um, well, does geez. Wilford have any kind of duty to feed them? I mean, he obviously did eventually. Maybe it wasn't originally in the plan and they had to make this perpetual cockroach grinding machine with this infinite supply of cockroaches that they get from somewhere. I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I don't think he necessarily owes them anything, uh, unless there are terms. I mean, I know, um, like I know Dave Smith likes to use the analogy of you know a hot air balloon. Like you bring a guy, you sell a, a similar ticket on a hot air balloon, you go up to the top, and then you're like, okay, hot air rides over, get out. So yeah, I mean, kicking people off the train, I think would be a violation of whatever contract. I don't think there's that, but I don't know necessarily what the the terms would be in terms of how much they. Are owed in terms of comfort and whatever.
0: Yeah. Now, did you guys take it that this was an ark that was built because the, the earth was cooling rapidly, and so this was a last-ditch effort to kind of save humanity? Or was this like a pre-existing tourist oddity that existed, and then people happened to be on it when the, the earth froze? It well, seems like it all happened quickly, didn't it?
1: Yeah. yeah I mean, it's it, it, uh, from what I understood it, he built it before the whole thing before yeah. the earth kind of cooled down because it was supposed to do make like one year through all the continents and you can see the, the track that it's uh, the path that it's following but they also say in the education car talking to the children that he Wilford was so smart that he predicted this but it sounded like you know when they talk about Kim jong-un or something like that that you know he's so smart he invented this or that so I don't know how true that was supposed to be in the movie itself that he knew that this was coming but that's how they were taught at least that he knew that the earth was going to freeze because of this camp trail uh, stunt that the government pulled off and therefore he saved he saved humanity essentially that's how the children were taught at least
2: yeah i i i got the similar sense that he built this thing which initially would have been had to have been just an economically viable business training people around but I, I he must have also had the idea to make it like this perpetual engine that can withstand whatever in order for it to, I mean, be in response to this freezing earth, whatever. I mean, you know, we're poking all kinds of holes in the premise of this film. It's it's, it's less about the science and it's more about the humanity, which I appreciate.
1: Yeah. And, but uh, I can
2: I can rant about the economics if anybody wants me to. <laughs> yeah. I can rant more.
1: <laughs> yeah. Where, no, where, where, I, are they, where uh, did they get all the supplies? It seems like... Also, what was weird to me was the water supply thing because they said, okay, so this thing they have this machine that turns this snow into water, but then you have that—that would mean that you have absolutely no scarcity at all. That like there's all this water that should be coming in, and yet you wouldn't extend this unlimited resource to to these dirty portions of the car. I mean, what about things that could spread to forward uh, in the car? I mean, it seems like if that was the case that the water came to be the way they were explaining that would mean that there would have been no scarcity of water in my, in my view. So that was kind of weird that they couldn't even, you know, host those uh, 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 tail section people off once in a while would have been nice.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then how did, uh, how did the tail section people, I don't know, look like not emaciated, you know, like uh, Captain America. I mean, he's a pretty buff dude. And I know they tried to like cover that up a little bit in costume and whatnot, but he's still a big dude you know? Yeah. And if you're eating just these protein bars and lazing around, otherwise, I don't think you're going to be in the greatest shape. You're going to, you're going to be like me in quarantine, you know, not being able to work out. Cause I got chickens in my office and, uh, getting a little roundy in the rotundy. And those protein bars better have like vitamin C,
2: D and A, or else you're going to have all kinds of health problems.
1: Oh, they better have vitamin D. <laughs> they never saw the sunlight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. people. <laughs> oh my goodness. Like, uh, First time they come out in this car after they break through first one and just see they're just blinded by this light that's, that's out there. You cannot survive like that without Mm -mm. any production of vitamin D. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So all they had to do was just let these people die of scurvy. Uh, They didn't need to foment a revolution and, and do those wag the dog manipulation stuff. They just, you know, or they could have just stopped feeding them. I mean, or cut the car. Yeah. Like if they're serving no purpose other than to give you young that you can then extract to maintain the equipment but couldn't you just first class people have babies yeah babies
2: you can't take their babies i guess well those are better babies it's true but i mean they can if they were like infertile or something and they're like that's why we got to do it that makes more sense but it just seemed like the the rear class people deserve no purpose at all other than they bought a ticket but why not
0: all right so i have another thing that uh i thought had some meaning and that was when Captain America is talking to the John Hurt character, which is named Greg, Gregor, Gregoire, something like that. He says, we need to seize the engine, which is the means of production and kill them, the bourgeois. And the old man should own the train, not Wilford because the old man worked on the train. So it's not the person who owned the equipment. It's the person who used the machines to produce something who should own it. This is the total like communist argument for the workers yep. the means of production and the workers providing all the value. Well, yeah, Even though they didn't do it, anything, what did they do? If anything,
2: Wilford worked on the engine. At least, and the kids owned it more than Gregor or Captain America.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's if you even uh, presume to accept this notion that because you push the buttons, you own the piece of equipment. Yeah. How about the guy that
2: invented it, created yeah. all the capital required to build the thing in the first place. I, yeah.
1: I I went to the grocery store and moved some boxes around and put them in place. Now I own the store, right? I yeah. mean that's how it works. It, it, it is absolutely insane. You know, I, you're right. I did, uh, I did uh, catch that too, but it was so like, yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it was so blunt and obvious the way they, they they did it. And I think it was intentional too. So
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll agree with them as far as you own the product of your own hands and what implements you own to create things. That's the value you have. And you're more than uh, able to offer that value to others in exchange for a wage or for selling the product of your labor. And uh, I'll add, you should be entitled to the full amount of your labor that you sell it for and not be taxed away from you. Uh, If anything, they should be against the obvious theft of the tax man on the back end, taking 30, 40, 50% of your labor, not the front end where somebody's providing you with capital that they've saved for and invested in to make you far more productive than you would otherwise be. Their, their disdain for uh, for people who are screwing them is totally misplaced. Uh, the rich or the capitalist class are a uh, scapegoat, a red herring to the political class who are actually the parasitical.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. And uh, in this movie, it was more like you didn't, uh, in some rare instances, you got to exchange uh, a slightly more comfort for your labor, like the guy who was taken to play the violin, I suppose he had a slightly more comfortable existence in the front of the car, playing a little bit of violin every day for the uh, for the uh, upper class over there. Uh, and the guy who moved out of the tail section to produce those uh, cockroach protein bars, I suppose he also maybe had a little bit better of an existence. Um, so, yeah, no, <laughs> you're right.
0: Yeah. And the other thing that all of those guys that got taken out of the back class or the back car and then brought up to do other work, even the kids seemed to be so brainwashed. Like they were like, this is my mission. Now I cannot be distracted from my mission. It, it was anyone who went to the front and, and, uh, did work. It was the violin guy. It was the, the bug protein bar guy. And even those kids wouldn't respond to anyone who they even knew saying, Hey, you know, don't go in that thing. Come over here know they were like totally like zombified and going and doing their job and i wonder if that was intentional and meant to be like some kind of message um in this movie is like some kind of meaningful demonstration of something i don't even know what it like what a capitalist be. slaves are zombies and
2: we don't even realize it that sort of a thing
0: yeah something like that and and yeah. i also want to ask um who throws a shoe uh which i thought was maybe a play on that um iraqi the reporter thing
2: yeah <laughs> and,
0: and how they uh how they respond to this guy throwing a shoe after they took his kid and beat the shit out of him he throws a shoe at this lady and then they freeze off his arm and shatter it with a fucking sledgehammer that was brutal my wife was wincing at that one
1: (laughs) that was nasty that was just awful yeah um probably the the most disturbing element in the entire movie even more so than the axe battle because you didn't really see much of What's going on? That, that, was, that was really <laughs> disturbing. It <laughs> shattered like pieces of glass. Yeah, you know, like, it, yeah.
0: It, was, it was also like a, um, a distraction, I think, because you see them treat this guy this way and, and cut off his arm, and then you see other people missing limbs. And so you're led to believe that all of these people have been similarly punished for mm-hmm. insubordination, but it's revealed later that, no, those people actually offered up their limbs uh, cannibal style, like uh, that movie, um, The argentinian uh, soccer team that crashed um alive or they're eating people oh yeah uh, so it's like a, a misdirection i think on the part of uh, the plot yeah for sure at first
2: you think it's these were people that have been punished then you find out no the actual reason is much more horrific even though well it's all horrific but yeah so what do you guys think of the wilford character got this malthusian argument that things need to be in balance that the train is this closed system and if things get out of balance, they have to be put back. Thing crashes and burns, and we all die. So you know, we we. I think people are familiar with Avengers Endgame and Thanos, who's also the similar makes a similar Malthusian argument that there aren't, aren't enough resources for too many people. Now, I think, I mean, Thanos is retarded because. You know, you've got all this innovation happening and it doesn't take into account innovation. Um, I think in, in this say, in this case, um, Wilford has a little bit better of an argument, at least in the world as presented, in that there really are limited resources. I mean, these are people that have been eating like the same cows and chickens for like 17, 18 years or something like that. <laughs> they still have all these chickens. Uh, so, yeah, they really, really, really have limited resources. Um of course it doesn't justify you straight up murdering them, but I guess then they just foment this fake revolution and then people murder each other and you can just wash your hands clean. Um, Harris makes the, uh, the argument that humanity devours one another without leadership when he's trying to get captain America to take his place. Um, I, th- and then they actually have a case of that in the movie where Chris, Chris, Evans is about to eat this baby, but then the, the old wise guy is like, no, don't eat the baby. Here, I'll show you a better way. Eat my arm. There's leadership for you. And he's like, whoa, it blows his mind. I would argue that leadership can be good or bad. Um, political leadership, you're not going to really get wars without political leadership, without religious leadership. Yeah, uh, Leaders enforce anti-human laws and regulations that lead to murder, kidnapping, theft, poverty. Um it's a human trait that can be used for bad or good, but I don't. I wouldn't say that humanity necessarily devours one another without leadership. Um, I think people can live perfectly peaceful lives according to their own, serving their own best. in.
0: Yeah, and it depends on what they mean by leadership. I mean, do they mean political leadership or a deity like he, like Wilford is treated in this uh, in this movie, uh, or just someone who? Has leadership qualities that helps others better themselves. You know, direct themselves into being more productive and providing value for others. You know, I mean, there's leaders in many different areas. There's voluntary leaders. There's people that you choose to follow and choose to work with or work for. You know, um, like get back to the capitalist exploiter. Some people uh, are dickhead bosses and other people are great bosses and they're providing you great opportunities. And they're helping you and, and uh, you know, improving your productive abilities. So yeah, I think it really matters on what they mean by leadership. I think in this film, they're, they're basically saying that you need some kind of a figurehead who is worshiped or uh, has a almost totalitarian control over the system. Yeah. It's kind of a strange argument though. It
2: seems to be making the communist revolution argument that the capitalists are all evil, but yeah, I guess it's, are they saying that Harris is... Re- well, wait a minute. Let me think about this.
0: But then he's also working with the communist leader from the back. So they're in collusion with each other. And that's the part I liked. That's the part <laughs> of like, fuck yeah. You know, like, yeah, they're in on it together just to, to screw everybody.
1: Yeah. No, I uh, I think it's obviously different here. This is a very much a limited closed environment where resources are strictly limited. But I don't think his his reasoning for when he just got... We have to get rid of people... Was kind of vague and kind of arbitrary, like because you wanted to maintain this special balance of energy also between the different classes of the train. It was just kind of weird. It was no, um, it was there was no clear reason why he they would uh, uh, um, take certain actions of getting rid of certain people. If it was just like we need to maintain a certain population control here because otherwise we're gonna run out of stuff, then they would just uh, probably move away the weakest people from 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 the back or something but that's not what they were doing they were kind of like finding other ways and remind me a little bit of the hunger games you know they were fi- finding these sort of almost entertaining uh pleasure uh spiels going on where where they enact these these uh coups different coups and then they fail and then they're supposed to fail at a certain point and then they estimate that so and so many people will die it's just a very like uh, macaw way of 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 uh, of dealing with it as opposed to just hey uh, Let's just line these people up and kick them off the train. And that's how we maintain population control would have been much easier. But they invented this whole new game of how to do it, which is just <laughs> really sick.
2: Yeah, all you really have to do is just turn off the heat to one of the cars. Sorry, you're all dead. You're all popsicles the next day. And then you got popsicles for right
1: everybody. Oh, boy.
0: All right. So, Robert, I know you, you wanted to talk about the ridiculous rifle shootout. So, let's well, get into well,
2: yeah, I mean. I don't know if this is one of the top ten most ridiculous rifle shots of all time. This is definitely one of the more ridiculous. I mean, the the single minded uh, enforcer character. He was, I guess, you could just say he was just so incensed that he had to do some craziness. But they're 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 driving around on this train and they hit this arc and they're going around this circle. What seems for like a couple of minutes. I, I don't get it, but whatever. Then he's got this. I mean, it's like an MP40 or something like that. I mean, it's less, it's got a shorter barrel than an AR. And he is sh- making a shot through this tempered glass, what I can only assume is like almost bulletproof glass, but definitely thermally, you know, thick ass glass meant to, you know, keep the heat in as much as possible. But it's still, it would still leach heat. I'm sorry. It's not going to, whatever. Anyway, but, and then he, not only does he shoot at Chris Evans, which is a good several hundred feet, if not thousand feet shot and at least at least a couple hundred feet i mean it's like a football field with this machine gun sort of and then evans shoots back with this little machine pistol type thing that i mean it's not going to be accurate at 30 yards maybe even 40 yards i mean i and then they're and they're 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 like hitting bullseyes hitting bullseyes i if i was there and some guy started shooting at me from that range i just stand there in the middle of the glass and be like yeah you're not gonna you're not gonna hit me <laughs> it's not gonna happen it's not gonna get through the glass even if it did and even if it did get through the glass it's i can't imagine even doing a whole lot of damage to you so uh, i i thought it was a little bit on the ridiculous side that David even he, evans even would shoot back at the guy like even if there's some psycho shooting at you from this distance through that the, that material why you would stop and waste all your ammo in a completely vain effort to get back at him uh, it just seems silly to me.
0: Yeah, I won't disagree with you uh, on that. And it did seem just another rather convenient thing to have this uh, five-minute long turn that just happened to coincide with this moment in time on this track that takes them a year to get around. But yeah, I mean, you got you got bullet physics to deal
2: with. You got all kinds of bullet drop. You got the curve. So you got all kinds of physics to counteract. You're, and your aim, yeah, the motion. You're, you, in order to hit Evans, you got to aim like way off from him and somehow, okay, whatever.
0: Yeah, it's ho- it's Hollywood bullet mechanics. You know, it's like magic mm-hmm. bullets, all of it. Yeah, so as if they're like rail guns and just like immune to physics. But anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Well, unfortunately, we've already been talking for about an hour, so I know you've got more notes, Robert. I know Olaf, you got more to say. So let's get some of you know like the next top two or three things, and and then start to wind this one down. Um, I wish we could talk longer, but
1: there's just one thing there that kind of like touched upon what you just said. Would just happen to be at this moment in time for uh, during an entire year that it takes to make the path. The same when they were in the kids section, right? To say, "Oh, you know what time it is now, kids? Now it's time to look outside to see those people who tried to, you know, see how far they went in the in the last revolution." And they're like frozen corpses up there at the hill. And that's supposed they're just supposed to remember once a year that this is now the time to look at (laughs) that. It's just like uh, I I thought that was funny and kind of like yeah. yeah.
0: and also like the happy new year pause in the melee fighting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, there's some elements like that. that kind of made me laugh, but uh, yeah, it made, made the whole experience a little bit weird.
2: Yeah. And I missed the chicken car. Where did all those eggs come from?
1: <laughs> that too. That too. We never get to see the, um, the actual chicken, but uh, uh look good. The eggs.
0: Yeah. No, strong eggs. Definitely. Nice white shells. All right, so Robert, what's your what's your hottest note left, and then we'll oh, uh, summary the review. last
2: the last thing I think we're talking about, I suppose, is the uh, child labor being the straw that breaks the camel's back for Chris Evans, who is you know he's kind of being seduced by Wilford's dark side, and he's like, man, is it do we really need a leader? Should I be the leader guy? And then he sees the little kids working on the train engine, and he's like, oh hell no, I, this is all going down. This is bad. He's a bad guy. And running you know, sweatshop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and this is this the classic liberal argument that, you know, capitalists are evil because they'll even exploit children, where it's an incredibly luxurious argument to make. I mean, if it's down to starvation or survival, everybody needs a chip in. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. If if the little kids are the only ones that can do it. Wouldn't you want the little kids to do it or you're all going to die? Is that, is that better? So I thought it was a ridiculous plot point that that would be the thing that turns Chris Evans to be like, Oh no, I was right. He's bad. Uh, it seems like a reasonable thing. Of course they he kidnapped the kids. He didn't be like, Hey, we need the kids for this specific thing. And here's why. And bring the parents up to see the problem. And, you know, really involve everybody and teach everybody what's going on. He just kidnaps them. Yeah, of course, that's evil. But I, yeah, I, child labor isn't the, the most evil thing. It's not like parents don't love their children that have them employed. They need them to work in order to survive.
1: Anyway. Yeah. And also, if uh, according usually according to the type of logic and the arguments that they're trying to make is that, you know, Uh, The only thing we need here is to deploy some labor unions to places like Bangladesh or Sierra Leone, and everything will just be great. I mean, are you serious? Like, they work because they're poor, so they need to work. You pass a law that prohibits them from working, you're essentially almost giving them a death sentence here, or you're sending their kids into prostitution or something like that. So uh, the sweatshop doesn't look so bad in comparison to those other two options that are available to them after you take away their best option.
2: Yeah, government likes to come in when there's been enough wealth created and then say, oh, now it's illegal to have child labor. And then they get all the credit for eliminating child labor. When in reality, it's the wealth that allows for the kids to not have to work and to be able to go to schools or have their summers off and play right. around in the yard or do whatever. It's exactly. something unproductive yep. or to learn for future productivity. Yep. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, I
0: that's I think that's what makes me hate that damn Carol Baskin. She used to deal in tigers and then she got out of that business and tries to outlaw it for others. If you guys have been watching Tiger King, what the hell are you talking about?
1: The government? Are you guys I have not
2: seen Tiger King. I know it's the new the latest craze. I I, I <laughs> haven't seen <laughs> it.
1: I don't I don't know, but I I and yeah, I I'm not fully uh, understanding <laughs> what's going on there, but I hear
0: all right. Well, I just tried to hard pivot and segue into something relevant, culturally relevant, but uh, <laughs> you two uh, guys don't know what the fuck I'm talking about.
1: We have no clue.
2: <laughs> is, it,
0: is it really good? I've heard nothing but good things. So far, it's it's wacky and wild and pretty good. So yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And mm. it's 10 years in the making. And uh, they just happened to get all this content before it went off the rails. And then they turned it into something pretty magnificent. So Tiger King, everyone, check it out. Is it a complete story? Uh, well, we're halfway, so but I, I imagine it goes somewhere. All Otherwise, right. it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a thing. Unlike snow, it just goes around and around. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now it goes off the rails at the end. Oh,
2: you're right. We are, and at then the, the uh, mother and father of humanity walk off.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. Really cool. We never know what happens to them, though. Like that's that looks pretty. It looks pretty grim. Those conditions. <laughs> are you gonna? Uh, yeah, you still got to eat something, right? Yeah, they the uh, polar you got a shelter bear somewhere.
0: Yeah, I guess the polar bear is supposed to represent that there is still something living outside of the train. Right. So perhaps it is cooling or whatever, or warming up again. Yeah. But that polar bear would have had to come from another polar bear. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just going to spring mm-hmm. out from the snow like fully formed. So things were alive the whole time.
1: Yeah, they must have been, right? Otherwise, yeah, then not, not, in, not everything was extinct.
0: Yeah, and no. I and I guess Robert, you were saying uh, they're they're going to spring forth humanity out of these two people, like a seven year old and a seventeen year old. Yeah, that's right. Uh, probably a few decades in the in the future, but no, you got to get started soon, as soon as you can,
2: because you don't got time, I and mean, you got to make a whole bunch of kids. I mean, you're going to have a limited genome. <laughs> yeah.
0: it's going to get weird. It's going to get, oh, weird. There's gonna get no, weird. There's no There's no Snowpiercer two. At least not yet no <laughs> all, right, well, all right let's do uh, final summaries and reviews um olaf i'll go to you first uh your your takeaway from the film uh also throw in why you suggested it because i usually do that at the beginning and now we are at the end and i didn't do that so here we are now and a score one to ten if you would please
1: yeah no i thought you know i was already you know looking at what was going on with the virus at at the time although it wasn't really bad over here yet but I figure we need to watch something, you know, that uh, we can relate to in a, in a time of a hardship like this that <laughs> we're going through. So something like this would be appropriate just to, just to have some, uh, some perspective. Um, and, you know, this uh, uh, dystopian film of, uh, of um, failed uh, scientific experiments to curb global warming turns into a nightmare where people are trying to survive. Uh, in a closed environment, that is a train that is now carrying uh, humanity on its uh, on its in its cars on its shoulders of this uh, omnipotent engine that is hold uh, to a deity status, and um, uh, where all the battle between the lower ranks of the car and the upper ranks of the car is constant throughout the entire movie, where they eventually just uh, you know it's everything. Blows up and uh, you have a couple of survivors, but yeah, I, I don't know how I would rate this I, I would probably from a scale one to ten. Uh, maybe uh, I, I'll, I'll have to go with a five with right in the middle I, I, I wasn't a big fan But as longer the longer the movie went on the more you got glimpses of its past that you hadn't understood yet a little bit more appreciation grew Once I understood, like you said, and I also had an appreciation for this, once I got to understand why so many people were missing limbs, for instance, I didn't know that. And so then I realized, oh, well, they practice cannibalism, but you don't find out until much later. Um, But there are some elements that are in the the movie also that's kind of laughable and ridiculous. Um, So I'll have to, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a five. And I think maybe I'm almost a little bit generous there.
0: All right. Well, thank you for that. And my, my take is pretty similar in watching this. I was like, what's all the buzz about, especially like halfway through, I'm like, this is just dragging on. There's just like senseless things happening. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, it certainly has some style to it. And, um, I, I guess, you know, if you're a big fan of this guy's work, um, you'll see, you know, you'll see like his kind of look and feel. Um, and it did have a little bit of a twist to it. And at the end, I started to appreciate it more, especially when it came to be that the two ideologies that are supposedly opposite each other are actually working together in collusion to uh, to deceive the masses and and make them um, willfully ignorant of what's really going on. And so I thought that that was actually kind of a, a saving grace for the film. So I'm going to go with a slightly higher six uh, when I would have been at a five until towards the end there. So we'll go to you, Robert, for your take.
2: Okay. Well, this is one of those rare times when Robert liked the movie more than anybody else. So strap in. Um, I thought the acting and the the directing and the cinematography was all quite excellent. I found the world that Bong created to be engaging. As a communist class struggle metaphor, I think the movie falls down. But for a dystopian sci-fi future film, I I was engaged the whole time um it's a little bit wacky a little bit weird and of course the world building in the closed system the economics are all going to fall down and you got to kind of just put that out of your head um it it didn't go for the romance angle which is usually a, a good way to engage the heart but it still had a whole lot of uh pulled on like sympathetic heartstrings with all the horrors that the main characters were having to deal with um of course, the villain is the heartless evil capitalist trope, which we've never seen that in a movie, even though they all owe him their lives. Kind of annoying that even though he has literally no debate about it, improved their lives. Um, you know, they're all they all hate the guy. Now, of course, he does evil stuff, but they don't appreciate the things that he has done for them, like create this train. Now, of course, all the horrors that they have endured, they're like, well, I would probably rather be dead. But clearly they don't. There isn't like a massive suicide problem. So, uh, yeah, things could be better. But just because a thing exists doesn't mean somebody owes it to you. Yeah, there's, you know, humanity and it sucks. And it's nice to be a good person and help each other out. And they would all be in that together in this in a real world situation. All these people would be in it together, living on this little train in this little bubble And you would want to work together to figure out all the problems that beset you. But instead, they went with a world where all the problems are taken care of and all the problems are human made, as opposed to, you know, environmentally man versus environment. It's man versus sort of environment because, you know, it's the closest and they don't have enough food for everybody. But it's essentially man created problems. Anyway, uh, I... I thought this was great um, in terms of just pure visual storytelling and sci-fi entertainment. So I would give that like an eight. But since it's like a metaphor for communist class struggle, then that's more like a six. So I'm going to split the difference and say this is a seven.
0: All right. So not too far off. Go five, six, seven. Not too bad. It's like a place order for you know the, the back half of a horse race where we're all the losers. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, that's okay. We're all losers right now being in quarantine and shutting down the economy. Uh, and destroying all the productive value that could have been made otherwise in the last month of March so far, and it looks like we're on our on our way to another month in April and potentially May. Uh, Wait, be, are are be communists it.
2: happy about all this? Because then there's all this labor that isn't being exploited, right? Yeah, right? they should. All be very the workers happy. aren't being exploited.
0: And so. There's lines. There's lines now. Bread lines to get into stores. All good <laughs> times. There's scarcity on the show. We're living in the communist utopia right now. We didn't even know it.
1: It's a, yeah. bit of a restaurant. A little bit of test run, at least a little bit, a little taste of what is to come if you actually <laughs> end up in the
0: yeah, Are you guys enjoying your 30 day free trial of communism?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Well, Olaf, thanks for for coming on. And uh, I hope you can stick around for a little bit longer for Kathleen Turner drive. I know it is late for you, so we will uh, try to not make it too late, but also enticing enough for people to join us there yeah. and uh, pay us some dollars while they're still worth something, even though like six or eight trillion dollars um, just got generated out of nothing. So, uh, I guess get your cash while you can and use it for something good. Uh, maybe helping Thomas Massey get, uh, reelected. Uh, he, he did a baller move this week, trying to at least get people to put their name on this, uh, monstrosity of a vote for this stimulus package. Um, so that was a very noble effort on his part. Uh, he was the lone dissenter to actually say anything, uh, contrary. So, uh, he's, he's earned a few co- big kahuna points for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was just on Dave Smith's show, so I would uh, recommend checking that out. And I'll put a, a link to that on the show notes page because I think it is really worth um, hearing what he has to say. I think he had something relevant there. So, uh, anyway, we will be back um, next week on an Easter egg hunt, Robert. We're going to invite back the anarcho-Christian and do another Easter movie. We did. Um, yeah, Passion of the Christ last year, right? The Passion of the Christ last year. Us two atheists were on for that uh, with him, and uh, it went pretty well. I was I was a little nervous going into it, but I thought we handled ourselves pretty well. And this time we're going to be doing Richard Burton's classic, *The Robe*, which I had not heard of until.
2: What's that? So, <laughs> it's
0: a it's a epic masterpiece, classic. One. You said classic masterpiece, Daniel. How yeah, could we? Neither know. one of us have heard of it. Olaf, <laughs> have you heard of this
1: thing? Uh, I I've not seen it. I've not seen it, so I, I cannot oh. speak for it. Yeah.
0: Everyone, go out and see it. So when you know, was this? When pre- was this thing made, Daniel? Uh, late fifties or early sixties. Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor's husband. He's uh, *The Robe* the robe it's called the robe and we've got access to it in our voodoo catalog so uh check it out it's right. probably three or four hours long so oh, great one of those so, if you've got anything to do come on uh, quarantine time
2: can we also watch cleopatra and ben her and the 10 commandments at the same time <laughs> back
0: to back to back to back yes perfect we're only going to talk about the robe. My so anyway, that's, what gonna <laughs> that's what we're going to do That's we're going to do next week. And uh, hit us up on Patreon. You can find the show notes more for this episode at lastnighter.com. We'll have all of Olaf's previous appearances, Spirited Away and the uh, Outlaw King. And we'd love to have you back again in the uh, near future. Um, whatever you'd like to talk about, it's always a good time with you.
1: Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Olaf. For
0: sure. All right. So uh, we will say good night from last night, everyone. See you next week as we talk about the robe and... Uh, Stay safe out there, everyone. Wash your hands.